This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. This International Women's History Month, we are excited to highlight our Style Canada changemakers throughout the month of March. Our changemakers are women who are making a difference in their industry, and Mavis Huntley, the founder of Smithery, is doing just that. Prior to starting the brand, Mavis worked at an advertising agency, running a department of more than 25 people. That said, she still lacked the self-confidence that stemmed from not knowing how to get dressed or put together an outfit. She thought, there must be more women out there like me, and Smithery was born. To learn more about Mavis and Smithery, head to smitherystyle.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This week, we're talking about dating and relationships with Logan Yuri. Logan is a behavioral scientist turned dating expert. She is the director of relationship science at the dating app Hinge, where she leads a team of researchers dedicated to helping people find love. Prior to that, she studied psychology at Harvard and ran Google's behavioral science team called the Irrational Lab. How to Not Die Alone is her first book on the topic that offers data-driven, step-by-step guides to relationships, complete with hands-on experience. It's designed to transform your life and help you find, build, and keep the relationship of your dreams. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Time, The Washington Post, HBO, and BBC. And we were just chatting about you also had some recognition by Indigo Canada. So in good company here with us Canadians today, Logan, thank you so much for being with us. I'm a big fan. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to the book, but I'd love to start with how did the book even come to be? Like what your journey has been kind of interesting as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, it's very fun to look backwards and say, how did I get here? Because this was a career path that I sort of invented. And I feel lucky enough to have a passion for something that I have just continuously been interested in over the last decade plus, and that I've been able to turn that from an interest into a career. And my work combines two areas of interest. One is my interest in psychology, decision-making, the study of behavioral science. And then the other interest of mine is sex, dating, love, and relationships. And so I've been able to create a career where I combine the two and I basically take the science of how we make decisions. I apply it to dating and I say, Hey, if you make bad decisions along the way, you end up in a bad relationship or no relationship. If you make better decisions, then you wind up in a better relationship. And here's how to do that. And my work has taken on several forms, including working as a one-on-one dating coach. Now I'm teaching a class called Date Smarter. I work at Hinge as the director of relationship science. And then of course, I was able to turn that into my book, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. Let's start with, and I found a lot of um, like comfort in this. Why is dating harder than ever right now? Yes. Somebody just mentioned this to me the other day. I'd forgotten about this line, but it's like dating is harder now than ever before. And you can tell your mom, I said that. <laughs> yeah. I think I, <laughs> did you just post that on Instagram? I think I might've saw it on Some, your maybe, maybe someone else posted it and okay. I reposted it, but somebody just quoted it to me. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah that is like how yeah. I feel. It's like my clients come and they're like, is it just me? My mom thinks there's something wrong with me. I'm like, no, tell your mom, like, this is hard. <laughs> and so I'm glad yeah. that you had what I call an it me moment. 
like where okay. you're related, but yeah. Um, yeah. So a couple of things going on with dating right now. So one just really starts with how our society is. So in the past, who you were, who you married, what you ate, how you spent your time, what you wore, who your friends were, it was all really predetermined by your culture. And so for example, me being a Jewish person from German background, you know, 300 years ago, I would have eaten kosher. I would have gone to the synagogue. I would have been set up by a matchmaker or my family and everything in my life would have really been predetermined. And now we have all this freedom to be who we want to be and figure out our careers and our diets, et cetera. But that also means that when it comes to love, it's all up to us. And maybe we're just not that good at choosing a partner for ourselves. And so one thing is that we just have so many options. It's really up to us. And it's like the power to write your own story. But then if you don't like the story you've written, you can only blame yourself. Yeah. That's a lot of that, that a lot makes of pressure. pressure build. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I love that, that you kind of start things off talking about that because we've all had, whether it's the mom or the aunt who, you know, just went from college to finding their person and didn't have maybe that 10 years in between where they were dating. So, you know, has a very different mindset of, of what it is today. Yes. Yeah. Even if somebody did match in 2001, like we're just in a different ball game. The yeah. dating apps have changed the way that we date. There are many more options. I know that everyone listening who has used a dating app knows that, but it's just true. It's like, you might've had a dozen people in your neighborhood who are eligible. And now you go online and you have thousands or in some cities, potentially even millions of people. And the question really becomes, who do I choose? And so there's a sense of, well, this person's great, but could there be somebody else out there? And that's actually a lot of the work that I do with my clients is helping them identify when someone's great and telling them great relationships are built not discovered. And how can you recognize that this person is awesome, invest in them and build the relationship you want with them, not just waiting for this so-called perfect person to come your way eventually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you talk about, you know, you have those three tendencies in the book. Can you talk a little bit about the three different tendencies? Totally. So I'm just one of those people. I love quizzes. I love having terms for stuff. I think it's just so much easier to process information when there's a name for it. And so this is a framework I developed called the three dating tendencies that breaks daters down into three types. And it's all about unrealistic expectations. And so the first one is the romanticizer. And they have unrealistic expectations of relationships. And this is maybe you or your friend who's all about, I need to find my soulmate. I'll know it when I see it. He or she is going to look a certain way. They're very focused on the story of how you met and they want it to be romantic, not on the apps. And there's a sense of when I meet the right person, it will be effortless. And the second type is called the maximizer. And this person has unrealistic expectations of their partner. And they believe that there's a perfect person out there. They just have to keep researching and looking. And they almost want to design this Frankenstein Frankenstein person that's like, okay, well, her looks plus her level of ambition plus her family plus her intellect. And I'm just looking for someone like that. And it's all about finding this so-called perfect person. And the third type, which is really 
grown in popularity over the pandemic is the hesitator and they have unrealistic expectations of themselves and they are constantly thinking oh i'm not ready to date yet i can only date when i'm 100% ready and for them that means losing weight getting a more impressive job moving cities graduating from school whatever it is for them and they're always creating this i'll be ready to date when dot 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 scenario instead of understanding that dating is a skill and you get better at it over time. So you mentioned a lot more hesitators right now. Pre-COVID, was there a lot more of, of one certain group or was it kind of mixed? Like what did what did the research show there? Yeah, it's interesting. So I developed the framework based on my dating coaching. And if you think okay. about who was coming to me as a dating coach, it was the kind of person who was more into growth, um, somebody who was going to pay an expert for the service, someone who felt like, oh, well, of course I'm going to go speak to, you know, a third party, blah, blah, blah. And so that attracted a lot of maximizers. So I had mostly maximizers mm -hmm. and some romanticizers. Now that my book is out there and people are taking the quiz on my website, I'm getting more of a breadth of people. And I'm okay. still seeing a lot of maximizers and romanticizers, but yes, people who um, were dating before, took a break during the pandemic. And basically, you know, we never knew how long this would be. And so it's like, oh, I'll date when this is over. Oh, I'll date when 2020 is over. Oh, I'll date when there's a vaccine. And it just became this thing to use basically as an excuse to stop dating. And now there's plenty of people out there who haven't dated in two years and are just like, my skills are rusty. I don't know how to make small talk. I've been in my house. I haven't even been to a restaurant in two years. Yeah. Like, how am I going to get out there and start dating? And at Hinge, we call this FODA, FODA, fear of dating again. Okay. It's funny that you said that I just read an article or part of an article. I didn't get through all of it. I think it was the wall street journal about kind of that, but with friendships, how we don't know how to be friends oh. again yet. So it's kind of exactly what you're talking about. And I think it's interesting. So hesitator affected by COVID quite a bit, maximizer, probably dating apps. And you have this chapter in the book, the romanticizer, like kind of fuck you, Disney, right? Like, <laughs> and can you talk totally. a little bit about that and the, the yeah. picture that we kind of paint there? And it's funny, I think this is sort of name droppy, but like it was an interesting experience. I did this event last week with Drew Barrymore and she's obviously in all these rom-coms and she was really like a rom-com come to life. Like it seemed like, oh, that's actually your personality. And when I was talking about all of my research and data, it felt like she was such a romanticizer. And so anyway, it was just like interesting yeah. to think about her and think about the impact of rom-coms and Disney movies, which essentially is you believe in happily ever after. And so you believe that the hard part of love is finding someone. And then once you find someone, if it's the right person, it'll work out. Whereas the truth is, yes, that part is hard, but so is keeping the relationship. And I think that if you expect, if it's the right person, it'll be effortless. You're just not setting yourself up for success because when you hit that inevitable rough spot, you think, oh, this must not must not be the right person instead of thinking relationships are work. And of course I'm going to put right. work in here. Right. It's, I mean, I've been dating someone now for about 10 months and yes, that exact kind of mindset, right. Happens like, Oh, this is something that's a little bit difficult. You don't really, they don't, they don't show that in the movie so much. And if it is, it's like someone moving from the airport and then running after, yeah, totally. you know, running after them and chasing them. It's not like the everyday kind of stuff that you might mm -hmm. think be, would be a bit of a rough spot there. Um, so 
that idea of, you know, we think that we know what we want. I had a really good friend that started dating someone. And last year she's like, he's just not what I thought he would be. And I didn't relate to it at the point, that point. And I'm like, now I, I understand that it's not, yeah, it kind of isn't what you think, what you think it's going to be. And so how do we combat that? I guess. Yeah. So just the first point is that a big piece of behavioral science is, is, is this idea that we think we have these really consistent preferences. We think it's like, um, no matter how the wine is presented, I'm always going to choose a certain kind of wine. Cause that's what I like, but we just know that that's not true. It's the wine that you choose is based on the order that it's presented in the price is, are you at a fancy restaurant? Are you at an inexpensive restaurant? Like our preferences change based on our environment. And that's also true with dating. And so people come to me for dating coaching and they say, Logan, I know exactly who I'm looking for. I just need your help finding him. When a lot of the work that I do with them is saying, you've tried to date this kind of person for the last 15 years. They haven't made you happy. They haven't brought out a confident side of you. They haven't helped you build the life you want. And so why not try dating a different type of person and seeing how that goes? And so mm -hmm. often when people text me, oh, I met this person, she's, she's not my type. I'm like, yes, this is the one that's going to work because your type was actually the wrong type. And this new yeah. one is a sign that you're trying something different. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to two, you have a chapter in the book, the, the whole fuck the spark, which yeah. I think is genius. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of fuck the spark came from all these clients who would go on great dates, say that they had a good time and then say, oh, I'm not going to see him again. And when I, when I would say why they would say, I just didn't feel the spark. And so it became this idea where I was like, what are they looking for? Like what is missing on these first dates that they're rejecting? And it came to represent this instant fireworks, instant chemistry. I'll know it when I see it, puppies and unicorns and butterflies. And that's just not realistic. And what we know from the research is that only 11% of couples report experiencing love at first sight. And so, yes, the spark is real. I've definitely felt the spark with people. It's not that there is no such thing as the spark. It's that our culture puts way too much pressure on needing it before getting into a relationship. And the three main things that I want people to take away are that the spark can grow over time. Just because somebody's sparky and gives you the spark doesn't mean that they're a great partner. And third, that if you have the spark with someone, it doesn't mean that that should be a long-term relationship. A lot of times sparks start really hot and heavy and then burn out quickly. Mm -hmm. And I love the part that you said about sometimes people are just sparky. Mm -hmm. Like I remember I went on this, this is a couple of years ago, probably now went on this one really great date with someone that felt like you felt the kind of spark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, we were supposed to, we never ended up going on a second date. We were supposed to go on a second date. Didn't happen. But I saw this person on a date, the exact same date we had kind of gone oh my on gosh. and seeing like that same kind of chemistry. And I'm like, oh no, this person. And then I had read your book kind of after that. and was like, that's what that was. That person was just charismatic. That person was mm -hmm. just sparky. It wasn't like a connection with the two of us, which I think is so important to, to realize as well, right? Like some people just kind of have that built into them that you might feel that, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything about you in, in the relationship. Yeah. I think about this a lot, even though I'm married, like I was at a conference last weekend and this guy was just charming everyone. And there was, he was a good looking guy. He had a good personality. He was present. Like 
he wasn't doing anything nefarious. He just was sparky. And I saw how people responded to him, men and women. And people were like, oh, I hope he's going to be my friend. And I was like, this guy is just really sparky. And I could imagine that some of the single women might've met him at that event and felt like there was something between them. And I would want to say to them, like, there might've been, but what I feel like is more likely is that he gives that feeling to a lot of people. And I think that is a lesson that took me a long time to learn. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to end up with someone who gave you a spark. It just means that when you feel that spark, question it a little bit and say, is this something special about us? Or is that a reflection of him? Is it actually that he's maybe narcissistic and he's very into seducing people to get a boost of adrenaline and self-confidence. Um, is it possible that, um, actually what I was feeling is butterflies that I am mistaking for butterflies, but they're actually chemistry and the bells going off are alarm bells and just really questioning that the spark isn't always that, that positive sign. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We are all about women supporting women here at style Canada. It's something we and the team at Smithery have in common. Mavis and her team are not only moms and entrepreneurs, but they also do so much for their community. I can speak to this personally as they give annually to our charity to support young women with cancer. So you know when you're shopping at Smithery, you're shopping with a brand who not only has beautiful clothing, but pays it forward in their community. To check out more on Smithery, visit them on Instagram at Smithery Style. And you know, if, if you kind of filter through that, I know you say go on the second date, right? Go on and things can build. And, and when I think of some of the relationships around me that seem really good relationships, it's because they did start as friendships mm-hmm. maybe before, and they had that time to like build, build up that intimacy. And if you do give that time to your relationship, I guess that, that, that builds, right? Like you, you kind of build the spark, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I say that the antidote to the spark is the slow burn, right? And the okay, slow burn. Yeah. Yeah. The slow burn is the person who gets better over time. They could be initially charismatic, but a lot of slow burn people aren't. And you know, maybe it's just a lot of introverts. It's like they are an onion and you have to unpeel the layers to get to the core. And some of those people just don't shine on a first date. They're a little anxious. They're a little nervous. Maybe they spill their beer because they're not feeling the most comfortable. And so if you just keep rejecting those people first date after first date, you're missing out on a lot of gems. But if you say, I'm going to, in general, go on second dates with people, you might find things on the second date that you missed on the first one. People might be more comfortable and you'll like them more. And also it takes the pressure off the first date because you're not evaluating them. You're saying, unless something terrible happens, I'll be seeing them again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you just talking, you know, talking a little bit about that first date, I feel like you just posted something that like the first date isn't the interview, the first date. Oh yeah. Yeah. What are some (laughs) things that we should be, you know, as we're going through this dating process, what are some of the things that we should be looking for, I guess? And, and, you know, are there generalizations that we can kind of bucket? I'm sure there's some individual things, but what are in general, what are some things we should look out for? Yeah. The tweet that you're talking about, I think I posted it today was like, you know, this is a date, not a job interview. This is a date, not a therapy session. And that's just a reminder to people that you're not there to vent. You're not there to monologue about yourself. Um, It's really a chance to connect, get to know another person and ask yourself, what side of me does this person bring out? 
Do I feel curious about them? And really just having an experience together versus being an evaluator and coming with a checklist and saying, you know, must be over six feet tall, must make six figure income, must have traveled to at least 10 countries by age 30. It's like all of these things that we put on a checklist are not really correlated with long-term relationship success. And instead we should be prioritizing things like kindness, loyalty, emotional stability, someone who you can trust, who you can make hard decisions with, who you can fight well with. And really what I said before, which is someone who brings out a really nice side of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like who you are. I think you say it in the book too, like ask your friends, who are you with that person? Right. If you can't. Yeah. Which I really loved too. So let's say that you've, you've fucked the spark. You've gone on, you know, you've gone on a few dates. You are in this relationship. Things are going well. You talk a little bit about the book in terms of decisions to make, whether it's moving in or the next step, what are, can you, can you bring us through that part of the book and and what those kind of mental conversations in, in your head should look like? Sure. Yeah. Because of my work at Hinge and because most of my dating coaching clients are single, I spend a lot of time thinking about how can you find someone and how can you get into relationship? But That's really only the first hard part. And then it's like, should I keep dating this person? Should we break up? Should we define the relationship? Should we move in together? Should we get married? And there's a concept from the field of relationship science called deciding versus sliding. And so the idea here is that some couples slide their way through decisions like, oh, um, my lease is up and I know we've only been dating for a few months, but do you want to move in so we don't have to keep paying rent? And that's kind of just like a act of convenience to save money, but we didn't really talk about what it means. And deciding your way through that decision would be, what do you think about moving in together? What does moving in together mean to you? What does it mean about our future? Do you see it as a test to see if we should get married? Do you see it as basically a pre-engagement thing? just really having those explicit conversations pretty consistently because so often we make assumptions and we assume that we're on the same page. And then six months later, we get bad news or we're really disappointed because it turns out that we thought different things were going on. Mm -hmm. So when I was rereading the book, I was rereading it with my boyfriend there. And so I'm going, we were actually away for a weekend and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have read this part before we've been away because I I would have made him do the whole checklist, which I'm sure he would have loved. But you, you do talk a little bit in there and give, and we don't have to give it all away. I think people need to give it away. (laughs) I mean, whatever you want to share, but there's, you know, very specifics in there from like questions to ask relationship contracts. Mm you know, what, what can you take us through in that, that you, that you want to share from the book? Sure. Yeah. In general, I just love questions. I think that's a really fun part of coaching. I think it's a fun part of life. Just instead of telling people what to do or what to think, give them the right question that helps them come to that decision on their own. And so one of my favorite questions in the book is called the wardrobe test, which is how to decide if you should stay together or break up. And it's, if your partner were a piece of clothing in your closet, what piece of clothing would they be? And it's a silly question. It's abstract, but people give really interesting answers that help get at how they're feeling. And so if someone says, my girlfriend is a itchy sweater that keeps me warm, but I want to take off, like that tells you something about the relationship versus my girlfriend is my favorite pair of pants that I wouldn't have bought for myself, but I love to wear. Like that obviously means something different. I think what you're referring to is there's a part about before you tie the knot, do this. 
And yeah, that was actually, yeah. that was, yeah, that was yeah. part of it. And then the, also, I mean, the breakup plan too, I mm-hmm. thought was really interesting. Just a, the tactical kind of conversations, I guess, that you have. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my whole philosophy is people are like, love is this organic thing. And how can we apply, uh, apply practicality to it? I'm like, it's also a coming together of two people in a financial circumstance. You might be building a family together. You might be buying property together. Like this is a real thing that you need to put thoughtful intention into. And so I like to give practical ways of doing that. So yes, there's a relationship contract that helps you figure out your values. There's a breakup contract that helps you break up in a thoughtful way. There's a series of questions for you to ask yourself about, should we get married? You should go through them with your partner afterwards and really just a series of steps that help you say like, is this the right relationship for me? And if not, should I leave or can we invest to make it better? Mm -hmm. I think just the way that you're, um, the way that you talk about relationships. And we had John Berger on last episode too, with datanomics and kind of getting the data behind things is always really interesting to me. And I'm curious if you see you know, where maybe we all had these thoughts about finding the one and the spark and all that. Do you see a shift in society to more thinking of love and partnerships as more logical? And, and when I say logical, like more thought out, do you know what I mean? Like more, not just, I'm, I have this feeling, but more like, okay, does this make sense for, for me kind of thing? So at Hinge, I'm lucky enough to be part of a lot of research projects where we look at different populations. And so we've been looking a lot recently at Gen Z versus millennial dating. And that's one of the things I was looking at is, are Gen Z more romantic, less romantic? Do we look at generational differences? And perhaps surprisingly, we haven't seen that Gen Z is particularly less romantic. And in fact, romanticism is a pretty sticky topic Um, romanticism as we know it. So this idea of you have a soulmate, there's one person out there for you. You'll know it when you see it, you won't have to discuss things like sex or money because it will be so natural. That idea actually came from the ideology of romanticism that started in around the 1700s through art and poetry and writing. And it's still really popular now. And so this is just a topic that has stuck with us. And Mm -hmm. has anyone who's seen Bridgerton or anything from Shonda Rhimes, like there just is a feeling of like people really like love stories with star-crossed lovers and romantic we met stories. And as far as I've seen, I don't think there's a huge push towards practicality, although that is my approach. Yeah. Okay. No, it was interesting. And it, I was, one of my questions was going to be, when did that start? So 1700. So, wow, that's actually like, that's lasted for quite some time. <laughs> we yeah, think of it, it, it is. Especially when you think like, oh, love has always been like this. And you're like, no, love has been like this for the last 300 plus years. But mm-hmm. for most of human history, marriage was an institution of economics, convenience, family ties, et cetera. And so if you can separate marriage from love and understand that marriage hasn't always been about love, in fact, for most of history, it wasn't, then you realize that we're putting a lot of pressure on something that wasn't always designed this way. Well, I very much relate to the way you think of things and, and I appreciate you taking the time, you know, to, to guide us through that and to walk us through it. Where can everyone find more details on you? I know you have a couple quizzes if people are curious about their tendencies online as well. Yeah. 
People can take the quiz on my website, loganyuri.com slash quiz. And on that website, they can learn about my class, Date Smarter. They can learn about one-on-one coaching. They can join my weekly newsletter. And then people can follow along on Twitter and Instagram at Logan Yuri. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one the first Monday of each month. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Regina Johan. Music credit goes to Raspberry Music, and it was brought to you by Smithery.